Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Can I just welcome everyone to the 40 year 20 results for Acryl PLC. We're going to start off with a short, short video of the business to give you a real flavour of some of the major changes that have gone on over the last 12 months. Wanted to remind everyone just a, a flavour of our markets and our business and where we where we are positioned now as an organisation. So there's been a huge amount of change, particularly in the last three or four months within the industry, and I'll come to that in a moment. But Acryl now has a market share of 33% of private label. The market we target is now worth around £3 billion. That will slightly increase with further uh, price increases being passed through to the consumer by the retailers over the next number of months. But it's now quite a significant market, and, and Acryl is now the leading player in the private label market. And I'll come to how that, 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 that market has been growing over the last number of months. Our total market share of toilet tissue and kitchen towel now is just under 20%. And if we go back to 2016, that market share would have been around 7 we will get into detail of our products and the channels that we supply, but every retailer that we supply is in growth across every category. And one of the key metrics for us as an organization is we're not dominated by any one customer. But we now supply virtually every retailer, every grocer, every discounter in the UK, and no one uh, customer is bigger than 20%. So in the year in question, our revenue grew 17%. Our volume was up 7.5%. You'll see some acceleration of that growth in a moment. We recovered by the end of quarter four. So by the end of April, we recovered just over £70 million worth of cost increases. 
And again, we'll give you some detail around how we are managing that and how we are now ahead of that cost increase curve, which is very important. As I said in the opening slide, our market share growth has increased to just under 20%. And something that we'll touch on in a moment, our branded products, so these are our Elegance range, our Magnum range, now accounts at about 17.8% of our total revenue. So it's worth around £40 million. And, and two years ago, that was less than 10%. And if I go back probably six years, uh, that will have been 1% or 2% of our total, uh, our total revenue. Branded sales margins are stronger than the private label margins that we sell to many of the retailers. So to give you a flavour of what's happened to the market over the last 12 months, and certainly over the last quarter, if I go back 12 months ago at the height of the pandemic, brands held around about 52% market share with private label around 48 At the end of this financial year, so the end of April, uh, brands and private label on a revenue basis were about 50-50. At the end of our first quarter, so by the end of July, the switch towards private label has been quite dramatic as people have seen price increases going through onto shelves. So private label market share is now 54% and the brands consequently have got 46% market share. The overall market actually has been pretty flat at 0.7% growth. I mentioned our own growth in market share to 16% in value terms. In toilet tissue, that particular sector grew by just over 2% and the kitchen towel market declined as people returned back to office lives and there was less time spent at home. We'll cover in a moment what's been happening to our own sales, but the private label um, uh, sector in the first quarter of this year grew by 10%. So I'll hand over to Richard, who will take you through uh, the next three or four slides on, on the numbers. Um, but the, the overall uh, message on, on the results is that they're in line with, with market expectations across the board. Thanks, Gareth. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, just in terms of the financial headlines, there's obviously numbers there in terms of the revenue, the profits and the net debt profile. So what I'll do over the next two or three slides is just talk to you about how those numbers have moved and what's driven those changes year on year. So in terms of revenue, overall, our revenue was up 17% in the year. Some of that was driven by the roll through effect of the acquisitions that we made last year. But what we saw through the year was an improving position. The year started quite slowly. We were still in the pandemic. Um, footfall on the high street was still patchy. But what we've seen throughout the year is a more normalization of buying behaviors, people returning to the high street, and then people increasingly turning back to the discounters. We started to push through price increases in light of input cost uh, hikes during the year. We implemented increases last August, again in January. And the latest one was just a few months ago in May. Uh, in terms of the customer base, no losses of customers. We've added some customers during the year, and we'll talk a bit about that later on in the deck. So in terms of our profitability, I think the chart in the top left really tells the story of what happened during the year. We suffered very significant input cost increases. In the financial year, that impacted us by over £20 million. Predominantly, that's around paper costs driven by pulp prices and the energy used in manufacturing the paper flowing through, but also other materials, film, cardboard, haulage, all of these areas drove increased costs into our business. We started to recover those costs during the year by pushing through price increases, but you can see the timing difference between those costs coming through, which came through very rapidly, 
and then our recovery of those. I think the, the bigger picture here is when you look at those cost increases on an annualized basis, we suffered over 70 million pounds of cost increases. And with the price increases that we've now put through, the full year effect of that is over and above 70 million pounds as well. So we have got to a position by the end of the year where our pricing and our input costs are, are aligned. So this just talks to the story of our cash flow. If I just talk about the operating cash flow, first of all, uh, the two drivers there are the lower profitability against the previous year. And we had an outflow of working capital, which in the inflationary environment that we were facing, obviously with input costs rising and our deficit getting bigger as well on the back of price increases, we saw our working capital expand to deal with that. Also, we took some decisions around us managing supply chain risk in terms of the levels of stock that we were holding as well. Below operating cash flow and the chart on the right, we continue to invest significantly in the business. So we continue to invest in, in capital. This is the final stages really of our capital program. And the big investments there were the automation of our Blackburn facility and the automation of our Leyland facility. Our CapEx program is largely done and our ongoing levels of CapEx will be minimal. We also invested in our product range. And again, in the next few slides, we'll talk more about the innovation that's taken place in terms of those products going forwards. And one final point, in terms of the profile for net debt going forwards, we expect that position to improve through the higher earnings going forward, the lower level of capital investment, and we wouldn't expect our working capital to expand any further. And one final point, um, we renegotiated our banking facilities during the year. We've extended those facilities and expanded those facilities out to August 2024. So I'll hand back to Garrett. So just touching on, on some of the product development uh, programs that we've been running, one of the biggest changes that we've made is that we've consolidated and redesigned our entire branded product offering. So this is into our Magnum range is kitchen towel, our elegance products is toilet roll, and our softy range is facial tissue. Those branded products we've seen, as I said earlier in a previous slide, has grown to around £40 million in value over the last two years. That's a significant change. We see big opportunities for these particular brands for us. Our Magnum range, which was launched at the beginning of this financial year, uh, is now the fourth largest and it's the fastest growing brand in the kitchen towel sector. Um, uh, and we've seen some particularly strong success against the major uh, leader in that sector um, due, to, due to the price differential uh, between the two, the two products, between Plenty and Magnum. Elegance is our toilet range. Uh, and again, we've, we've had some particularly strong success uh, where we've opened up um, the opportunity at 30,000 convenience stores in the UK. Uh, and that's now the fastest growing brand in, in cash and carry. And then Softy, our facial uh, tissue uh, product uh, is now the second biggest brand uh, uh, in boxed facial behind uh, behind Kleenex. And again, we've got some uh, really big expectations of where we think we can get the softy brand and the size of our facial tissue, which I'll cover in a moment. So uh, channel development, as Richard said, we haven't lost any customers of any kind in the last 12 months. Uh, we've continued to grow as an organization. We've won some additional sole supply agreements with a number of large grocers. We've opened up new wins with the Star and same with the facial tissue business. 
And actually, as you see there, the Unitas wholesale business, that is made up of 30,000 small corner shops, which we opened up in the year. And we continue to grow our presence on Amazon. And our Oceans paper wrap products is now the second largest direct-to-consumer product in the UK. So to give you a flavor of some of this growth, uh, so Elegance in the year, uh, uh, in a market worth 1.4 billion has grown 14%. Our kitchen towel business, despite the market declining uh, almost 7%, we've grown 19% with our Magnum range. Uh, our uh, softy uh, range, our facial tissue business has grown 70%. Uh, and one of our biggest successes is around wet wipes, uh, John Dale business that we bought um, over 12 months ago had an annualized sales of around £2 million, £2.2 million when we bought the business. The, the run rate now on wet wipe sales is £6 million, um, and we've seen a significant step change. I'll touch a little bit more about wet wipes in a moment. And Oceans, uh, you should be mindful of the fact that it's, it's coming off a very small base. But again, uh, our paper wrap options, we've added kitchen towel to that range, and we'll also add paper uh, wrapped pocket packs uh, in the uh, in the not too distant future so operationally what sort of difference has the automation done to us as an organization well pretty dramatic to be honest with you with across the board our output rates across all of our major sites have seen a dramatic improvement as automation has transformed the businesses blackburn has now outputting almost 30% more. Leyland is just over 30%. And Leicester, since we bought the business, we're now operating on four machines. We're operating seven days a week, and that operational output is up 60%. And at the same time, we've been able to take the headcount down on a like-for-like basis from just over 400 to just under 300, 275 now on a like-for-like basis as an organisation. And the final machine investment in Leyland will be completed before the end of, of October this year. And on a safety footing, we're almost two years now uh, without a lost time accident at any of our sites. Everyone is obviously over a 12-month period. And we've seen a 33% reduction in all of our minor accidents, either things like cut fingers or a slip. And we do over 30,000 observational safety cards a year to help transform the business. But as you will have seen from the video, the, the organisation now is a very different um, a group of businesses compared to the the business that we that we that we took over five years ago. Uh, LTC and John Dale acquisitions are now fully integrated. Uh, all of the facial tissue business uh, in John Dale is now in our state of the art factory in Blackburn, uh, and we've now got a dedicated wet wipe business uh, in John Dale. And as I said earlier, the the growth that we've seen within John Dale has been dramatic. The bulk of this is with water industry approved flushable wet wipes. These are products that are branded fine to flush and they are the only ones approved by the water industry. And we've seen a real acceleration of growth in that business. When we bought it, it was on one shift. Uh, we're now running two shifts and we're about to add a third. The size of the business is capable within its existing machinery of turning over somewhere in the region of 15 million pounds. With relatively modest investment of probably two or three million, we know we can grow this business to 40 or 50 million in revenue terms and about 10% of the market that we're aiming at. All of that growth in the main is coming industry-approved, water industry-approved wet wipes that are flushable and biodegradable. So we launched our ESG uh, report last September. I'm, I'm really pleased to, to announce that the, the, the business in May of this year uh, became a living wage accredited member. Uh, all of our staff uh, earn uh, at least uh, the living wage. Um, we think it's very important, particularly uh, in these in these challenging times, 
to reward people accordingly uh, for the jobs that they do. And, and the automation program has enabled us to ensure that we have high skilled jobs throughout the organization. We've also seen a further reduction in our waste uh, of, of half a percent. Uh, and one of the biggest changes in the business is we've moved to a, a 38 millimeter core, uh, paper core uh, from a 50 millimeter core. That, that has reduced down our paper usage, but also taken 10% of our vehicles off the road for the same number of roles that, that we now deliver. Uh, and that's quite a significant impact to the business going forward, both on a carbon footprint level, but also on a cost level. Our absenteeism as an organization, I believe that less than 2% is world class. Uh, our absenteeism levels are running at 1.7%. We have a full six scheme for people in the organization. We drive our ESG metrics because we know they make a difference to our business. Um, we're not doing this because um, someone externally has suggested we should be doing it. Um, these ESG metrics make a difference to us, make us more profitable, make us more sex successful and make us an organization that people want to join. So they're very key to uh, the core of what we do as an organization. So the strategic review, clearly the war in Ukraine and the impact of energy costs and supply chains have been something that we've been managing over the last 12 months. And we will give a full update of our strategic review in, in 2023. The one point I would pick out of the review is our mill plans are fully developed. We have every intention of developing a mill solution for us. It still makes commercial sense. It doesn't make any difference the fact that tissue prices uh, have doubled. The logic of owning our own mill is still there. The machinery is selected. The building design is completed. We've got the location choices ready. Our biggest uh, blocker at the moment has been around building costs and the rapid increase in building costs during this year. And we're already seeing that falling away. So when the conditions permit, we will update the market but also progress with our mill plans. So Outlook is incredibly positive. Our market that we compete in is growing significantly. It's been the biggest growth change into private label away from brands ever in the industry. Over the last quarter, the market grew 10%. Aquil's growth because of the range of, of retailers that we deal with, the quality of the products that we've got, uh, the offering that we have, the service levels that we're now delivering. Uh, we grew uh, just under 30% in that same period. Our market share is now significant, 33% of private label, and that comes with some significant commercial strength. And you've seen that with the ability to pass significant increases on to the retailers. We have a very robust supply chain model, ensuring that our paper arrives in a timely fashion to the organisation. We've increased the amount of paper that we currently carry. We've doubled that from around two to three weeks to five to six weeks. In the long term, we don't expect that paper position to be set in stone. We would expect that to revert back, and that clearly would be a cash release into our net debt position. And so uh, the, the first quarter gives us real confidence about the year ahead, um, uh, and uh, we, we, we continue to advise that we are trading in line with the forecasts that have been put into the market for full year 23. And I think at that point, I will say thank you and open up for questions. So two questions that are similar. Can you give details for your hedging strategy for purchasing paper reels, i.e. the proportion hedged in each of the next few years? And someone else asked, could you outline how you de-risk parent reel costs? So in terms of our, our currency positions, so we predominantly buy um, our paper reels in US dollars. We have a US dollar exposure, so we take out uh, forward contracts in respect of dollar purchases 
Um, we've always got at least three to four months cover ahead. Um, we constantly re review that about the, the, the level of cover that we have. And when we're thinking about price increases, obviously FX is a, is a factor in that in determining you know, the, the absolute cost in sterling terms of our, of our paper reels. So we have a forward uh, cover strategy. It covers the window in which we've got the ability to change our selling prices. Um, and we keep that under review regularly. And in terms of energy costs as a proportion of your total costs, can you give detail around your energy hedging policy and the proportion hedged in each of the next few years? So energy for us isn't, isn't, isn't a, a, a significantly large percentage of our costs. It ranges between one and one and a half million pounds a year is what our energy uh, 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 costs are in the manufacturing process. We've done a lot of work with with our energy teams in reducing down uh, the amount of usage that we've got in our organization clearly adding automation uh, increases the amount of usage but actually we've seen a five to ten percent reduction in our energy usage in the first place um uh what so we 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 we, we have our energy hedged um some of it ends uh, towards the end of this year we've budgeted for the change already in our organization and then there's some ending uh, in the middle of, of next year, but all of those increases that we were expecting to come through, we've already we've already budgeted uh, uh, as into our own financial numbers uh, going forward. Um, we wouldn't tend to look to for very long-term hedges on our energy because it's relatively small part of our cost base. Thank you. And what's the main risk with holding twice as much raw material stock compared with more normal conditions? I can't. We, we, we don't believe there's any risk to it. I mean, uh, whether you're holding two to three weeks worth of stock or whether you're holding five to six weeks, it's not a huge amount. The reason why we've done it is partly uh, because of the when there was when there was container shipping issues uh, at the beginning of of the full year 22. Um, we started to increase our stocks to ensure that we had we had a buffer in place. And, and recently, there's been uh, announcements of, of port um, strikes. So there's one in Phoenixstone, there's one uh, towards the end of September in, in Liverpool, ports, both of which we use. So it just made some sense to us to actually hold more of our stock. Admittedly, it, it, it takes up some of our cash, but we, were, we had the headroom to do it and we felt it was the right thing to do. So in, in, in the only... The, the, only, the, only, the only view we see is upside to it. Uh, clearly, as we move forward uh, and supply chains become more consistent, then actually we would just see a, then a cash release of, uh, of reducing down that, that paper stock position. And a um, few questions about the mill. The first, for years, you've stated that building a mill would be transformational. I've never understood the details of why this would be so, given the amount of capital to be deployed and increasing energy costs, transportation costs, wood pulp costs, etc. And somebody else asks, what are the arguments against buying a paper mill and becoming more vertically integrated? The number of options we have is obviously building one uh, uh, and then obviously purchasing one. Um, the opportunity of purchasing the right one um, doesn't come around that often, but clearly we continue to look uh, whilst we whilst we're considering uh, the the right time to 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 to, to build a mill. Um, we buy about one hundred and forty thousand tons of of paper a year. Uh, we're the biggest purchase of of paper we believe well certainly in Europe without a mill. 
Um, the work that we've done on simplification of our tissue range would mean that our mill would only produce one grammage. It would be the most efficient mill in the world. Um, uh, because of the work that we've done in, in simplifying um, our, our paper purchases, um, the mathematics that we that we that we've reviewed on a regular basis with with new input costs with regard to energy or whether it's pulp costs, the the EBITDA improvement for the business is significant. And whilst it is a large capital outlay, the the payback for 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 the investment it is 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 a significantly short number of years um, because because we would instantly um, maximize the machinery and the, and the output of the, uh, of the factory. So the, the maths tells us that actually it, it makes massive sense to the business to, to do that. Um, uh, and, and despite the fact that pulp prices have changed and energy costs have gone up, because paper prices now are at an all time high, the mathematics still shows that, that actually the logic of building a mill or owning a mill in some way uh, still makes enormous sense to us. I'm not too sure whether I answered all of the questions that were, that were asked there. Are there any arguments against buying one? I think you've got to get the timing right. So uh, I think I think it's I think we have to be practical uh, and sensible about what when 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 is the right time. And clearly, clearly, the the war in Ukraine. Um, how that has impacted energy and, and the uncertainty of energy um, in the short term has meant that we've that we I think correctly and prudently have, have, have just put that on hold until we are very clear about 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 the route forward. Um, I I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't be a good idea. Um, I think I think it's worth adding that we're looking. It's a balanced approach we're going for. So the paper mill. Would basically uh, produce fifty percent of our requirements, so we would retain access to paper from other sources. So we'd still have that flexibility in the model. So this isn't about one hundred percent integration. This is about fifty percent integration. Thank you. And how much in total will it cost to deliver the mill plan? The the actual machinery is around uh, twenty million pounds. The actual building is around twenty million. The building is around twenty million pounds. Um, um, it, with with some some subsidiary work of another ten, it's around fifty million in total. And how will it be financed? So the um, the machine is 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 in effect um, through a, 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 a an export soft loan from the from the the, the country that that we would buy the the, the machinery from, um, and then the building would be would be lease financed would be leased once once the building had been had been completed. Thank you. And can you tell us why the strategic review was delayed until January? Um, well, I suppose when we when we announced the review of, of the business, um, Russia hadn't invaded Ukraine would be one big thing that's that's impacted the delay. There's been obviously a dramatic uh, change in our in our input costs. So actually, the business and our efforts have been focused around recovering best part of 80 million pounds worth of cost increases um, and and a you know a strategic review of business takes takes some time to 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 ensure that you've considered everything and 
the reality is that the team here is small and, and our time has been dragged away into things that, that have been significantly more important um, over the last 12 months. Um, uh, and we want to do this properly. So it's, it's no more complicated than, than, than physical, mental um, capacity to actually uh, ensure that we were focusing on it correctly. Thank you. And fullier figures show good news re revenue, productivity, headcount, product range. The downsides are profitability showing a loss for the past three years and a huge increase in debt. Given the model of the company as it is, what has to change to make the company profitable every year and to reduce the massive debt? And over what timescales can the changes be made and realised? One of the key points to make uh, around what we've been doing over the last four years is we've invested a huge amount of money in the business and you've seen a, the final phase of that in, in these sets of numbers. And as Richard said earlier, going forward, the capital required in the business is, is probably around two to three million pounds going forward. And that's a significant step change to what we've been investing over the last four years in the organisation. And actually, without doing that, we wouldn't be in such an incredibly strong position to take advantage of a market that's now growing at, at at least 10%. Um, so the the cash demands for the business um, going forward are very different. Uh, we've also invested the best part of probably eight million pounds in increasing our raw material stocks. And again, we don't see that as being something that, that is a long-term position. We've done it because we think it's prudent. We've done it because uh, there's, there's some specific issues that are impacting the UK today as we speak with regard to the strikes we've talked about. And the, 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 the cash released because of those, those particular areas are, are, will be significant um, uh, from this year onwards. Um, so we think we've made um, some hard calls and some difficult calls about continuing to invest in the organisation, but we think we've made absolutely the right ones and looking at the, the growth that, that is ahead of us, and the fact that we grew 28% compared to the market of 10, uh, we feel as though we've made the right decisions and the profitability of the business, we will see a continued improvement uh, over the next 12 months, two years, three years. Thank you. So how quickly do you think you'll get back to historic margins? We, we've always viewed this business as a teeny bit our business. Our, our, our views have not changed. Um, the pre-pandemic margins of just under 30, just over 30% growth profit. Um, those are clearly still um, uh, in our sight and we don't see that being a long-term recovery of, of, of to, that, to those sorts of levels. Thank you. And what's happening with pulp prices? Are they easing yet or do you expect further hikes? Uh, we probably don't expect either. We probably expect uh, there, is, there is an increase going through as we speak. Uh, the industry needs a, another increase because of, 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 of paper price increases that will impact the, the, uh, the UK and Europe um, uh, from, Jan from November onwards. So we are in, in the discussion literally as we speak with retailers. Um, after that, we, we think that pulp pricing and tissue pricing will, will remain uh, pretty static. We do not expect to see a decline in, in tissue prices in the short term. Um, but we, we do expect to see some form of stability. Thank you. And you've talked a bit about hedging, but how is the dollar affecting the business and how do you see this over the next 12 months? I try not to uh, predict where the dollar or sterling is going to go over the next 12 months because we'll always be wrong. But we 
basically because we've we've got a hedge position just like our paper purchasing we, we know where we are at least three four months ahead we know what our dollar paper price is we know what our hedged cover is we therefore know what our sterling paper price is and that's how we establish the levels of price increase that we need so we we can see that far ahead and we've got a reasonable view then for the three months beyond that we, we can take a judgment call beyond that so we've got certainty three to four months ahead and a, a reasonable view sort of up to six months ahead of exactly where those where those two variables are thank you and are there any effects on the business with the insolvency of Haeckel in germany well the easy answer is no um we're obviously aware of it um i think there will be a number of of of, of older tissue machines across europe and uh, that will struggle i think um uh, they, they that will be the only business that perhaps um, struggles as an organization some of the some of them have struggled to get price increases in some of the regions in across mainland europe particularly in france um but no we, it, there's no direct effect to us Thank you. And just a couple more questions at this stage. Some toilet roll manufacturers have now removed the cardboard cores from their products. Why haven't you? Firstly, to, 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 do, to do that uh, requires a, 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 a not insignificant investment in all your machinery. It's not an easy thing to do. And actually, some of the machines would actually need to be replaced in their entirety. When we've looked at the, the mathematics of uh, of, of of, of that solution, the 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 glue because uh, you, what you in effect do is make a core out of the tissue that you are using, and you do that using quite a lot of glue um, uh, to actually fundamentally produce your own core. And the maths that we've we've looked at, uh, it doesn't make commercial sense. Um, it's quite a nice gimmick. Um, what we think was significantly more important was actually two things with regard to our cores. One, we've reduced it, so we've gone from 50 millimeter cores down to 38. And the, the savings in logistics are, are enormous. Um, and we've also reduced down the amount of paper that we are using in the core itself. Um, so uh, for us, when we've looked at it, and particularly with tissue prices now, significantly higher than when we last looked at it, the cost of producing your own core out of the actual tissue uh, to us didn't seem to make a lot of sense. Um, so we've, we've never we've never gone down that route. Thank you. And are you exploring new raw materials for your products? So say bamboo? We're always looking at new materials that we could run, uh, lighter weight grammages, how we are converting it, uh, whether there's a different, whether there's more that we can do with recycled papers, whether there's more we can do with with different virgin papers. Um, uh, bamboo uh, is is something that that we could run if we wished. Uh, one of my issues with bamboo is when you look at the actual CO two impact of bamboo, it's significantly worse than than virgin fibers because of the machinery it's made on. The fact the majority of it is made in China. Um, we have some issues with some of the um, uh, 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 the, 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 the stewardship of, of how that is manufactured, the amount of chemicals that you have to use in that manufacturing process um, it is, is, is quite frightening. Um, but as, as it develops and as there are more machines that potentially produce it that are significantly more efficient, then it's something that we would look at. And if the market started to, 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 to move in that direction, then, then we would look at finding solutions that, that made sense to our, our um, ethics in, in purchasing. 
Thank you. And the new pricing agreements you set up with retailers over the past 12 months, which was mentioned in the full year results, um, how do these compare to the previous agreements? Clearly, you felt a change was required. Uh, was there a failure of the previous contracts? Well, there wasn't a failure of the previous contracts that, that we that we put in place. I mean, there's historical issues that the business had four or five years ago, but they're, they're well behind us. Um, all of, I mean, the, the reality is pricing now with retailers it, it is uh, it tends to be only for a 12-week period. So it's much shorter periods of discussion on both sides. Um, and we are uh, very transparent with them around the, the input costs that are coming in. Um, and we share that with them. Um, we, uh, we, have, we have really strong partnerships with all of our retailers. Um, uh, and uh, we have, we're in regular dialogue with them around, around input costs, what's, what's happening, what's changing, um, so that we can share um, you know, if there are any future reductions, we'll share that with the retailers. Uh, quickly in the same way that we've that we've that we that we've worked with them in passing these increases on, um, so we, we we don't have any onerous contracts of any kind. We have nothing that's long term fixed price agreements with any any retailer, but we've had that in place for a very very long time. Thank you, and that's the end of questions. Do you have any closing remarks? No, I'd just like to you know thank everyone for listening. Um, uh, you know, we are really excited about uh, the opportunity that, that that's ahead of us now. The market is changing dramatically. Uh, Acryl is in a really strong position to take advantage of that. We've got some fantastic products. Our service levels are, are second to none, uh, and the investment we made in our business puts us in a really strong position to benefit going forward. So, I appreciate you're interested in the business and. Uh, uh, and and hopefully your long-term investment uh, in, uh, in the organisation. So thank you for listening. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.